0: So like I said, we're in uh, the last week in Paul's letter to the Galatians. 18 weeks we've been in uh, this letter. And uh, we've been talking about a very important shift that we're making as a community to becoming a, a community that's centered on Jesus. And that's what we've been talking about all along. And it's a really important shift in our community as we make some changes in who we are and how we focus ourselves. And so uh, we invite you to, or this, this week I'm just going to, to try to do a bit of a summary of what this book is all about and what we've been talking about in this community. And I hope to just kind of, it's been 18 weeks, like I said. So it's a lot of different things that we've talked about. So just summarizing some of the big ideas. And in uh, the book, I'm I'm going to say that Paul, basically, I'm splitting the the book in half, the letter in half. The first half of the book, it talks about moving from a bounded community to a centered community. And then the second half is moving from a fuzzy to a centered community. So I'm going to use the whiteboard this morning to help me uh, explain these things a little bit. So, first we're going to talk about what it means. What are, what are even these words? If you've never been here before, what does it mean to be a bounded community, a bounded church? Liz is going to join me over here so that people can look a little more closely. All right. So, bounded speaks about different ways that we organize ourselves as a group of people. How do we organize ourselves? And a bounded set community organizes itself by a boundary. And so, these are people who are inside of the community, the people that are X's. They're inside. And then these people here are on the outside. So they're outside the boundary. And what, is, what are our boundaries? What makes up boundaries? So it's beliefs and behaviors that we have. And we say the people who believe these things and behave this way are on the inside of the group and the people who don't are on the outside. So, for example, in churches, you can have a bounded set group that uh, says, for example, people are the, on the inside are people who are baptized. People are on the inside are people who agree with our statement of faith. Or people who are on the inside are people who read their Bible every day. That means you're a member in good standing. And so this is one of the ways that we have a bounded set community. But Paul seems to be pretty down on this idea as a way of organizing God's people, a church. And so he tells a couple different stories. So let me just tell one of them to you to talk about how he doesn't think this is the best way to organize the community of God. He tells the story of a guy named Peter. So Peter was a Jewish man. And like all communities, like all cultures, there's a bounded set community. There's a way of, for example, being a Jewish person, Jewish person, sorry. And then they'd call people who weren't. They had several names for them, but one of them is Gentiles. They're not Jews. Or they would say this, the people who are members of good standing in the Jewish community, they're clean. And the people who aren't, they're unclean. And there's different practices and things that people would do to make themselves clean and unclean. And so Paul, his, or Peter, sorry, his whole life, he's grown up with this way of thinking about it. That I want to be on the inside. I want to be a person in good standing in my community and not like those other people. But then he starts to go and hang out with this new teacher, this rabbi named Jesus. And Jesus does something very interesting. He seems not to live by these boundaries. This doesn't seem to be the way that he thinks about what it means to be a person in good standing. And, and so he goes, for example, and he'll eat with all sorts of people. This is one of the huge scandals about Jesus. It says in, in the Bible that he eats with sinners and prostitutes. And so when Peter becomes a follower of Jesus, he's like, Okay, well, I guess this is what it means. For me to follow Jesus. That this line no longer defines who I am. And so Peter, after Jesus dies, he's, he's telling people about the good news about Jesus, and he goes and he takes the story to this place called Antioch. Now, all the people in Antioch are Gentiles. They're not Jews. But Peter, following Jesus' example, he eats with these believers. Because he's like, that's what Jesus did. But what happens is that these missionaries come from Jerusalem, so other Jewish people. They come and, and they tell the people in Antioch, look, you need to eat, you need to change, you need to become Jewish. And Peter feels something. It says in the passage, a very important word for us, Peter feels fear. His fear causes him to build this line again. And he says, oh, I'm no longer going to eat with these people. Maybe they believe in Jesus. Maybe they have the spirit in them, but I'm not going to be part of eating with them. I'm going to put this line back together. And Paul says something very similar has happened in Galatia. We're not exactly sure what, But the Galatian people are also Gentiles. They're not Jewish people. But what's happened is that these missionaries have come in once again, and they've started to say, if you want to be truly the people of God, you have to start doing all these things. You have to come inside the boundary. And there's probably three things that they're talking about. Number one is that they need to be circumcised. Number two is that they need to obey the kosher food laws. And number three is that they need to take on the Jewish calendar, the holy calendar. And so... this this is a problem in Galatia that's why Paul is writing the letter here and Paul is not very happy about how these boundaries are being used to define the people of God he he says uh, to Peter he says you're condemned he uses very strong language he says to these Jewish missionaries who come into uh, Galatia he says I wish they would go all the way and cut themselves off not just circumcise but cut it all the way off It's it's a circumcision joke if you didn't get it and I didn't make it it's right in the Bible then he says to the Galatians, you're fools. He says, if, this, if, this, if you break down this line, if you put it back up, you're absolute fools. And he, he says this in the, in the passage, if you allow yourself to become circumcised, Christ will be of no benefit to you. If you allow yourself to become circumcised, Christ will be of no benefit to you. You'll, learn, you'll lose the faith. So what is the problem with boundaries? What's the problem with the way of thinking about this? Let me just give you four. There's lots. But the first problem is that this way of thinking is colonizing. It's colonizing. All of us have beliefs and behaviors that we think are important to the faith, of what it means to follow Jesus. But the problem is that we can't tell the difference about what's just part of our cultural moment right now, maybe from our stories, our perspective, our cultural moment, and then what is actually important for all believers at all times. And this is exactly what's going on in Galatia. We look back and we're like... What a stupid thing to worry about if people are circumcised. Like, I don't know who you are, or if this is your first time here, but I'm really hoping that nobody checked if you're circumcised on the way into the church this morning. It would be absolutely bizarre, and maybe that's why there's so few people here. There was somebody checking, and people stayed away. But, like, it's, it's, it's a bizarre thing. But So we look back 2,000 years ago, and we think, like, that's crazy. But we have things in our moment in time that are the same. We just can't see them, because they're part of our moment, our, our history. The second thing is this that our beliefs are selective what we put into the line is selective let me just <clears throat> read something from from galatians 5 here to help us understand that actually before i do it's been a bit of a it's been a bit of a long week for me so i just need a little pick me up if that's okay just to get get myself ready here to go It's oh, better. Thank you. We all right? We're going to move on. Galatians 5 reads Now, the works of the flesh are obvious sexual immorality. We doing okay? Okay. Moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatreds having a little bit of a problem here. What happened when I pulled this out? It's actually smoking much more than I thought it would, so I'm gonna... <laughs> OK. There we go. <clears throat> OK. So what happened when I pulled this out? I crossed a boundary in this community, didn't I? Whoa. There we go. I, I have a backup, just in case. Um, I crossed a boundary in this community when I pulled this out, didn't I? Now, I want to ask you a question. Does it say anywhere in Scripture that your pastor should not smoke? Does anybody know that passage? I don't know of one. But the moment that I pulled this out, I crossed a boundary that's part of our community. And we all have these colonizing boundaries, and here's the way that it works. You don't know them until they're crossed. If I would ask you on the way in what's important for a pastor, you probably, none of you, would be like that the pastor doesn't smoke. But as soon as I crossed that boundary, we had a problem. So all of our beliefs, the things that we add in here, they're, they're colonizing beliefs, and we're just unaware of them. But the second piece is this, that they're also selective. The passage that I just read lists a bunch of characteristics that are not okay for the people of God. And in there, it lists, for example, being envious, being selfish, and creating factions. These are things that are not okay for God's people, but yet here's the thing. I could be an envious pastor, I could be a selfish pastor. I could go and create factions all inside of the church, and I could probably still be the pastor of this church. But if every day after church you saw me smoking outside, patting your kids' on heads, how long would I be the pastor of this church, or how long would you come? Probably not very long. We all have beliefs and behaviors that are both colonizing and uh, selective. So... <clears throat> I, I need something else to drink after that. It was disgusting. Um, I don't smoke, by the way, if, you, uh, if you're wondering. But um, if you ever wonder, that's, it's actually a, that's actually a cigarette from the, like, it's a movie prop. I went and got it very specifically, had a very interesting conversation with the person who sold it to me. And uh, he's like, why do you need one? Are you making a movie? I was like, actually, I'm a pastor. Um, so he gave them to me for free. Um <clears throat> But if you ever wonder what pastors do with the rest of their week, we, we mess around on whiteboards, we go buy fake cigarettes, and we read God's word. That's basically what we do, right, Mitch? And he's like, don't, don't loop me in on this. Okay, so colonizing and selective. I hope that that object lesson helps us remember that these are the things that we do. Number three. <clears throat> oh, that thing really... Uh... Okay, all right. Uh, that they are part of our identity. And here's the real, where we're getting to the heart of the issue, is that instead of putting our identity in Jesus, our hope in Christ, what we end up doing is that we end up putting our identity on these boundaries. I know that I'm okay. I know that I'm a good Christian because, what? I don't smoke. There are different beliefs and behaviors, and it, it's the boundaries that end up defining us. I know I'm okay because, because I don't do these things, and I believe these things. And that's where we put our, our identity and our hope. That's where it comes. And then finally, it's stagnant. It causes us to be stagnant. Let me just give you an example of a story of this. So our church has been in the past a bounded set community. That's how we know who we are and where we are. And um, we had a person early on, so I've been in leadership here for about 10 years, a person who very early on used to come to this church, and and he crossed over that boundary, and it was like a monumental thing for him. It really changed his life to start uh, thinking in the same way and believing the things that we had on our statement of faith. But about eight years later, we went for a walk together. And he said, you know, when I crossed over this boundary from here to here, it was like absolutely huge in my life. But now, eight years later, I still believe all the things the church believes. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not outside of the boundary, but I'm just stuck. I'm stuck in my faith, and I don't know what to do next. What do I do now? Because I already agree with everything in the church and in the church community. And that's what's the problem with reinforcing the boundaries, is that we get stagnant and we get stuck. And, and really, the only focus is about taking people just inside and reinforcing these boundaries so that they're really, really clear. And that's the problem, is we get stuck. And maybe some of you know what that's like, what that feels like to be a person who is stuck just inside. So what's the alternative to a bounded community? Well, for Paul, it's to be centered on Jesus. And a centered community really has two major characteristics. The first is that we're wanting to be very, very clear about who is in the middle. And so it's the person of Jesus. And Paul in Galatians talks about three things that we want to we want to understand about Jesus. First is the person of who he is—that he's God's son, that he's the most important person in history, and he's the one, the only one that can truly take the center place in our lives. The second thing is that uh, what theologians call the Christ event—that we want to be clear about what Christ that he that he came, that he lived, talking about his life, that he died, that he was raised and that he is ascended and now reigning and ruling in the world. And then the third thing is that Paul says this is a gift. He uses the word uh, grace here, that Jesus is a gift for us, and that we need to put him in the center, receive that gift, and put him in the center, the place of glory, the place of honor, the weighty middle in our lives, and, and be, uh, for him to be the anchor in our community, the thing that holds everybody together despite the differences that we have. And so this is the first thing. We want to be super clear about the person of Jesus. And the second thing is this. So then we've still got a group of people who all gather around Jesus. We're part of a community, maybe maybe in the church, maybe just outside of the church. But the question is no longer about proximity, how close you are. It's not boundaries anymore, but the question becomes, the most important question becomes, which direction are you headed? Which way is your life going? Are you headed towards Jesus? saying yes to what the Spirit is calling you to do, or are you headed away? And this means that, for example, we can have people, maybe you, you know, someone later hears about this on a podcast, randomly, and they just listen to this sermon. But there's something in it that draws them near, and so they listen to another one. And so they're saying yes to what the Spirit is inviting them to. But you can also be someone who's very, very close. Maybe you can be the pastor of the church. But if you're not saying yes to, to what God is doing in your life, you're moving away. And we want to draw people in who say yes to Jesus. And so it's about who's at the center, the person of Jesus, and then it's also about the direction that we're going. Not crossing boundaries, but the direction that we're going. Um, I'm going to, uh, let, me just, let me just quickly talk about how people who are more bounded can move to being centered. Let me just give you two pieces of advice here. Because um, some of us are more bounded, and that's okay. Or we have areas of things that we're bounded about. How do we then learn to become centered? So the first thing is about, it's about changing what you value. It's about changing what you value. So I, I think of it like this. If you're a more bounded person, then you, what you've made the most important thing in your life are the beliefs and the behaviors. And I'm not asking you to say, I don't have no beliefs and behaviors. That's not going to happen. That's not going to work. What I'm asking you to do is to take the things here, the person and the life of Jesus, at the center of our community and direction and put those things, value them more. Just shift those two things in a different direction. And so you're still going to have beliefs and behaviors and you're going to hold them maybe very tightly. That's totally fine. But it's about actually shifting those things so that the most important thing in our community is Jesus and the direction. Are we saying, are people saying yes to him? And what's going to happen in our community as we do that is that we will all realize we have beliefs and behaviors, we have boundaries that we're going to come up against. And some, some people in our community, we're going to share quite a bit with them. There's going to be a lot that we share in common. And other people, it's going to look quite different. And so we're going to have these moments where we come to the edge of our boundaries, as we're in relationship with other people. So how do we actually have those conversations and disagreements? Well, Paul gives us uh, a way of doing that. And so he says there's three parts. The first is that we learn to tell our stories. We learn to tell our personal stories and to listen to the stories of others. You know, most of us think of Paul, if you know anything about him, and we think about him as a person who writes a lot of theology. But actually, the way that he starts the letter to the Galatians is he tells three stories. And so we need to learn how to tell our stories and listen to the stories of other people. A second thing that we need to do is learn to discern and listen to the Spirit of God. To understand how he is moving in our, in our midst and how he's working in people. And then the final thing that we need to do is we need to look to the Scriptures. The Scriptures. And see how God has acted in the past. But... As Paul says many times, and as a Jesus-centered way would would show, what we need to do... Sorry, this is supposed to be a crown. It's a really bad crown. Um, Is that all of these things are centered on Jesus. So as we learn to tell our stories and listen to the stories of other people, it's not just to bless your story and say, oh, like, whatever's happened to you then, just go and do whatever you want. It's actually to, to unite our stories and learn to find our stories within the story of God. The Spirit, it says in the Bible, is also called the Spirit of Christ. So we're looking to how the Spirit mobilized Jesus' life and ministry and how he might take residence in our story. And then finally, we don't tell the Scripture as a flat narrative, but rather as a unified story that leads to Jesus. And so we look to Jesus as the fulfillment of Scriptures. And so if you're a more bounded person and you want to move to become more centered, my advice to you is to learn. There's a couple different things I'll say. The first is to learn to listen and to tell your story. Most of the time when we're bounded about an idea, the reason is because we can't imagine. We're like, well, anyone else with half a brain would look at this exactly the same way as me. It's just obvious. And we don't understand how our story actually plays into the way that we see things. And so we need to have a conversation with people. So, for example, this past week, I just had a conversation with someone. They were like, well, what do you believe about hell? And I was like, okay. Fun conversation. Here we go. Um, I asked the first question is this. Why does it matter to you? Like, why is this such an important thing to you? And just tell me a little bit about it. And they're like, well, I mean, it's obvious. And I'm like, well, no, no, let's get down to it. Why is this such an issue for you? Because for some of us, it probably isn't. For some of us, maybe we're on the complete opposite end of the story. We're like, please just don't talk about hell. Why is that so important to you? We need to learn how to narrate and listen to each other's stories. And again, we're not, I'm not saying whatever your story is, then it's per, it's, we're going to bless it and say there's no problems. But we have to learn how to listen and tell those stories. And I think most people who are bounded, when we're bounded about things, we are totally missing out on how our stories play in. And my wife shared this with me from someone named Kristen LaVallee. She said this, we can't yell at someone, you're going the wrong way when we don't know where they're coming from. You can't yell at someone, you're going the wrong way if we don't know where they're coming from. And that's this exact centered idea. Maybe someone is moving towards Jesus, but because they're over, we're over here, we can't see it. And so we need to learn to listen and tell stories. And we need to learn how to narrate our own stories, too. Another wise sage, the Honorable Andrew Baldwin, in our community group, said this. It was a very wise statement. He said, and this is a good reason to be in community groups, he said, look, we're essentially bounded about other people, but fuzzy about ourselves. I'm so willing to give myself grace and so slow to give other people grace. I I, I want to see myself on the inside, and so I'm measuring myself around other people. And so narrating your story and listening to the stories of others is really important. The second thing is this, that for us we need to learn how to spot the Spirit. And if you're bounded about something, this, this sounds too easy. It almost sounds like easy to fake. How am I even supposed to tell? If, this, if I'm here and this person is here, how am I even supposed to tell that the Spirit is in their lives? And this probably means that we, we are a little bit low on understanding who the Spirit is and what he does. And here's, here's the reason I say that is because in Galatians, that's what Paul does. He's like, these Galatian people, they're, like, they're super weird. They're not like me at all. They make me super uncomfortable. But they have said yes to Jesus, and the Spirit is in them. So who am I to say that I won't sit down with them and be part of their community? So it's the Spirit that he identifies as the main factor. And if you read through the Book of Acts, which we will do later this year, it's exactly the same thing. It's the Jewish church trying to make sense of how God could put his Spirit into people. And so it's something that we need to learn how to discern, learn to see the Spirit at work, inside of people. And then the final thing I'll say to you, if you're more of a bounded person who's, who wants to become centered, is this. Some bounded people have kind of put Scripture in the middle. And they have a certain texts that they feel like, oh, this is super obvious. So every Christian should agree with me on this, because it's super obvious if you read Scripture. And, and I just have one word for you, if this is you. Relax. If it's super obvious then when we open Scripture, it will be super obvious. And if it isn't, then maybe what's happened is that you've made something really important to you. And I'm not saying it shouldn't be important, but maybe we start to need to start asking the question of why. Why in my story is this really important? Maybe you grew up in a place where this was something that was really, really emphasized, and it says real Christians, true Christians, believe these things. And we need to dig back into the story if it's not obvious for everybody. Now, with that said, some people have asked, well, what do we believe here at this church? And uh, the answer to that question from your pastor is, I don't know. I don't know, because we are a church, and I don't know what everybody believes. I can't tell you what everybody believes, because I don't know all of your story. So if you want to know what certain people believe, my encouragement to you would be to ask them, what they believe about certain issues. Or if you're getting into a rub with people, to go into this process together. And we'd be very, very happy to help you in that. And we used to have a statement of faith um, in, in our community. And I can just tell you, again, from being someone who's been in leadership, some people are like, we need to have a statement of faith so that we know if people believe the same thing. I'll just tell you what's happened. In 10 years, I've gone through many people in the member process. And I can tell you what has happened with almost every single one of them. They sign the statement of faith, they pass it back to me, and they say, I don't agree with it. All, honestly, almost every single person that i walk through it with. And so you can think that having a statement of faith will actually get everybody to agree. It doesn't work. I don't care if you're talking about this church. I don't care if you're talking about another church. I can just tell you from my personal experience, it doesn't. And so what I would rather do is actually open up space to have conversations about where people are at. And, and we'll get there. It's not about being fuzzy It's just not being bounded. And so the process that we have in terms of membership is called the member check-in. You can go check it out online. And what it is, is you just get together with other people in the community and you ask three questions. Am I moving, in this last season of my life, have I been moving towards Jesus or away? And why? Am I moving towards God's family or away? Why? And am I moving from this place out into the world towards my neighbor? Am I, am I feeling compelled to go? Yes or no, and why? And you get together with people and you just reflect on it, and then you make some decisions. Well, maybe in this next season of my life I need to emphasize some new things. And that's the process of being centered on Jesus that we're trying to institute in this place. So you may ask a question then, say, okay, like, that's very clever, you don't know what we believe. What do you believe as the pastor? I'll just say two things very quickly about that. Number one is that I'm a very open book. If you want to know what I believe about anything, turns out I'm super opinionated. So I'm very happy to tell you exactly what I think about any given issue, honestly. And by God's grace, I'm always right. So you can ask my wife. So it's, it's just God's gift to this community and to my life. So I'm very happy to tell you what I believe about any said issue. I'm, I'm generally not that. I'm more concerned with this process than trying to make you agree with me. I think trying to get everybody to agree with me on everything, from, from my reading, that's called a cult. Um, and I don't want to make that here. Instead, I want to have conversations. And maybe, maybe it turns out I'm a male and you're a female. And so we have different perspectives that we're coming from. Or maybe, you know, I've had kids and you haven't, and we have different things that we bring to the table. And my understanding of what the New Testament is is actually different groups of people coming together, sharing their stories, and allowing Jesus to be at the center. That's what I care the most about, discipleship and growing towards him. Now, if you are like, that's not enough, let me me just tell you um, that I pastor in what's called the MB... Conference. That's the, the kind of church that we are. So as a pastor in the MB Conference, I sign on to our Confession of Faith, we call it. And there's three beliefs that I have to sign to every year. Okay, Here they are. You can go read about it on our website. Number one, I believe that there is a creator God. And this God is revealed to us in a very mysterious way in God's story, that he is three in one. God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Number two, God. this God wants to reach out. He's always reaching out to people to draw them into his story. And the way that he does that most clearly is through the person of Jesus. He comes himself. And the story of Jesus is that he comes, he lives, he dies, he's raised, and he is ascended, reigning and ruling. And he invites us into his story. That's number three. The place that we learn to follow Jesus is in the church family. This is the gymnasium where we learn how to follow Jesus. And every year I sign that statement of faith. And so, if I get fired, or if we have to leave the conference, you'll know that at some point I have left that boundary. Okay? Those are the three things. But I love that. that I don't mind signing that, even though I might not use exactly the same words that, that that confession uses, because it's all about this. It's all about this person, Jesus, and how he lives in our community. And then there's, so that's the first part of the statement of faith, in the sec- or the confession, and the second part is this. It's the longest part, it's the longest section. It says, as a follower of Jesus, we are invited to turn, to change. It's a very centered statement. I'm invited to become this kind of person. And there's nine things, let me just read a few of them for you. We're invited to turn from loving possessions to sharing with all in need. From being stingy to being generous. a very hard thing for a Mennonite to do. The second, we turn from hating our enemies and ignoring our neighbors to showing love and justice to all. Number three, we turn from individualism to interdependence with others in God's family. And number four, we move from ignorance of God to a personal relationship with God. And so it's all these kinds of statements that God, in his grace, continues to reach out to people like me and invite me into this kind of way of living, of following Jesus. And that's what Paul gets on about in the second part of Galatians. He doesn't want us to be bounded, but he also doesn't want us to be fuzzy. And so let me quickly explain what that means to us. A fuzzy group of people, if this this group of people cares really deeply about the boundaries, this group cares as well, but basically they're allergic to the boundaries. And so they say, we've got all these people involved in our church community And we just don't want to hear anything about boundaries at all. And so the problem is, we don't know where the center is in this community. Is it here? Is it here? Is it over here? We have no clue where it is. And so there's no sense of movement and momentum. And what happens in a fuzzy church is that basically every person becomes their own center. Or you can think of it like this. Every person ends up getting a little crown on their head saying, oh, you're the center of truth, you're the center of the universe, you're the center of what goes on. And there's no movement to change and become more like Jesus, as these statements say. And Paul doesn't have any room for these fuzzy, this fuzzy way of thinking about church community. Let me just tell you what we've looked at in the second half of this series about how Paul talks about this invitation to become like Jesus. So he says, centered on Jesus and partnering with the Spirit, we change, we become new people. And so we looked at this passage from Galatians 5.1, we're invited then to become free. But there's this invitation to become free. For freedom Christ has set us free, Paul writes, stand firm then and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. And so we're invited to turn, Paul says, from slavery, which is over here, to freedom, to becoming people who are free. And Paul says, it's not just freedom from things that we get when we we, we walk into the family of God, but it's freedom to become someone. Freedom, he says, to serve God's family, to, to be a person who serves God's family in love. And so we're invited to turn away from slavery into freedom. Paul says, we're invited to live into a new identity. This identity is that we're adopted, that we're children, and that we're heirs. Paul writes in this passage that's up on the screen. And so he says, I invite you to turn then from believing that nobody wants you. That's walking away from God. And I know some of us understand what that feels like. That We understand, we feel like that all the time. That there's a sneaking suspicion that nobody could ever want and love us. And what Paul is saying is, following Jesus, the invitation is always to hear that you're adopted. That God has gone out of his way to invite you into his family. That he wants you. And your new identity is not an orphan. It's not someone who's just out in the world all by yourself. But it's actually a child of God. That that's who you are. You're part of this family culture. And then turn from believing that God hates us. Or that God doesn't have our best in mind. Which is probably something that rolls in the back of our heads. When something else goes wrong in our lives. When something doesn't go the way that we want. And believing, moving towards God, that he actually has his best for us. His his inheritance is for us. We're invited to become new human beings. And Paul says, we're invited to turn from partnering with the darkness. You can imagine it like this, that there's a hand that's reaching here, offering for each of us to partner with the dark forces in the world. And Paul says, as children of God with the Spirit in us, instead we're invited to see that God's hand of the Spirit is pulling us this way. So he says, don't don't practice these things. Don't practice partnering with this dark hand in ways that break our relationship with ourselves, our relationship with God, our relationship with others, and our relationship with the world. But instead, partner with the Spirit and learn to bear fruit. The slow process of becoming more like Jesus, who is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We're invited to return the gift of grace, Paul says. He uses this language, keep in step with the Spirit that God gives us this gift and he invites us to give a gift in return of our lives and to stop measuring ourselves against other people. That's what he says in this passage. To stop looking at people and living a competitive existence, but rather to see each other, in the next passage he talks about, as a new family. To call each other not competitor, but brother and sister. And to bear and share burdens, as my friend Brian said. That's the invitation of moving towards Jesus. And we're invited to become eternal citizens as well. This is what um, Mitch p- preached on last week. To sow and reap in the Spirit, or two weeks ago. And he asked a great question that I learned actually was the question that Nicole came up with. So Nicole asked a great question through Mitch, which is like, are, are you tired? And most of us are. We're tired. And then he said, but are you tired from, bearing, from, from sowing and reaping to the flesh? To things that just last for here, or to sowing and reaping from the Spirit? Many of us are tired, which is it? And Paul invites us to sow and reap towards eternity, to be eternal citizens. And then finally, last week, we looked at this invitation to walk away from this balloon dog vision of life, the shiny, fun, smooth life, that that's the end goal of life, and instead to learn how to boast in the cross. Paul says to put Jesus at the center rather than having a balloon dog here, to have the cross here. And so for Paul, the faith is fundamentally not fuzzy either. And if you're a bounded person, you're probably super scared of becoming fuzzy. That's where your fear is. And if you're a fuzzy person, your fear is probably becoming bounded again. And Paul says it's neither of those things. But it's actually this vision of what it means to follow Jesus. So I've said a lot here today, and I've said a lot in this series. And I really poured uh, my mind and heart into this series because it's such an important one for us and such an important invitation for who God is inviting us to become. But I want to just close the series in our time this morning with just two words, two invitations to us, again from Galatians. Paul writes these, these words, Brothers and sisters, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. I think in this, I, he's poured his heart out to his people through this letter, and he wants to remind them at the end that God is with them. That God is is with us. I think it's John Newton at the end of his life on his deathbed said, you know, the best of all is that God is with us. And there's this invitation of the God who is with us who wants to be close to you and actually draw you into something new. That God is calling out in each of our lives. His spirit is with us. And he's calling for each of us to become people that look like him. And so I just encourage you, you know, there's so many things that, that... take up space in our hearts and in our minds to lift this vision up that God in Jesus and his spirit actually wants to be with you he wants you to put him at the center and that's the best thing that you could do as a follower of Jesus and then Paul says these words which we looked at last week for both circumcision and uncircumcision mean nothing what matters instead is a new creation The boundaries, he says, these things that you worry about, circumcision or uncircumcision, other kinds of boundaries that we put in our lives, they don't mean anything. Instead, the invitation is to become a new creation. That's what God has on tap for every single one of us here. Not an invitation just to become a 2.0 version of yourself, a smoother, funner, shinier version of who you are, although some of us could probably use that. The invitation is actually to become somebody new, to become a new creation, to someone who dies and rises, that that becomes the pattern of our lives as we learn to be shaped like Jesus. And that's because, it's not because God doesn't like you, that he doesn't just want you to become a 2.0 version of yourself. It's because he's got bigger plans. For each one of us, he's got a vision for our lives that we could actually look like Jesus. That our small lives and our small community in some way can reflect the honor and glory and person of Jesus into our world light shining in the darkness. And that's the invitation for Paul and the invitation for our community. So I just think, what if? What if we were people who took this invitation seriously? What could God do here? What could God do in our lives? And what could God do in this community? Let me close in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word We thank you for this challenge and this invitation to become live in a a different way, in a third way. Not in the ways we organize ourselves regularly in our world, but in a way that reflects the kind of community that you have given your life to create. And so I ask for myself and for each of us that we would hear this invitation that you have to be with us, to be in our midst, and also this invitation to become like you. And so I pray that over myself, I pray that over our church, would we become a group of people who are centered on you and who are following you in whatever way that you're calling us. So in this time as we uh, have communion, in this time as we worship you and as we give and as we pray together, we pray that you would make yourself known, that you would become the weighty center in our midst, and also that we would hear the voice of your Spirit calling us to become new creation, and that we would joyfully partner with you in the pattern of dying and rising. We pray these things together in the name of Christ. Amen.